you and Davey were so incredibly close and I'm so thankful that you have that ring and the memories of that great win in Daytona. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll always remember that time with Larry Mack and Robert in the, in the pit working with them for two days. It was quite an honor, but it was a lot of work, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Walter Unfiltered. It's my podcast. I really have had a great time doing these podcasts as I've told you in the past. And this week I have a very special guest. He is looking forward to January where he's going to be inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He's a short track racer. He's a guy that I've admired my whole life and appreciated my whole life. And his name is Red Farmer. Red, gosh darn it. Appreciate you taking time out of your day to join me. Well, I'm glad to be here. Uh, looking forward to it. No doubt about that. Me too. And I have, I have a lot of questions and a, a, a lot of memories, uh, things that I want to ask you about. And um, I, I just, I got to start by saying how good it must feel for Red Farmer to be a NASCAR Hall of Famer. Well, you know, it only took me 68 years. So to get in that thing, but since they started this new Pioneer division, you know, I think it made it uh, made it made it possible. Because uh, I started NASCAR in 1953 when I ran the beach course uh, and started NASCAR in 53. We took old Hudson up to, to Daytona to race, and um, I've been in NASCAR ever since. So, of course, when I went up as a rookie in uh, 53, I had no idea that I'd end up in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. That was my first NASCAR race. Well, I have to ask you, I don't, like, I might have talked to a guy or two that, that, that raced on the beach. Um, what, tell me about that. Tell me, not only about the experience, but what was it like getting ready to go race on a beach? What do you, what do you remember about that? <laughs> if I told you, you'd have to die laughing anyway. Oh, uh, <laughs> a guy named Shorty Sykes had a car lot in Miami, Florida, and I was racing highly on Hollywood and West Palm Beach sometime on Sunday. And uh, he came to me and said, Red, if I get you a, a Hudson, I got a Hudson down on my car lot. If I gave that to you, would you take it to Daytona and maybe run it on the beach course? And, you know, I thought about that. You know, of course, I've been running for a few years, but I was strictly short track. And I talked to my mechanic at the time, Wayne Cackley, and I said, what do you think, Wayne? said, we ought to go up there. He said, well, yeah, it's mostly a stock car race, so we'll just take it up there. We put number 48 on the door. And we drove that car to Daytona. I didn't even have a trailer or a tow truck. We had our suitcases in the back seat and a little toolbox in the trunk. And we drove that thing up to Daytona. Got in there sometime around midnight. Pulled into a gas station and jacked it up, took the muffler off of it so it sounded like a race car. So and we drove out to the pound out where the beach, the track was at the beach track. And this was what was ironic. We pulled out there until one or two o'clock in the morning, I guess it was, and pulled out there on the beach on the racetrack, and we going to sleep a little bit. So we fell asleep, and then I was in the back seat. And about daylight, I woke up. And I woke up. What woke me up, my hand was laying down in the floorboard, and the tide had come in, and that floorboard was full of seawater. And I woke my mechanic up. I said, we got to get out of here. We're supposed to get drowned. So we had to crack that Hudson up and drive real fast to get off there because the tide had come in during the night and then come in up to the floorboard in the car. 
and we drove right back out there. So that was kind of ironic. And then during the race, the car was running great. I probably, I don't know. But, you know, you come off a turn, the north turn was a high bank dirt, and you hit A1A asphalt track. Yeah. The road down the back way. Well, I hit that thing sideways so many times. It, I didn't know that you're supposed to have a double-plated wheel. But, and it broke, pulled out over the lug nuts and jammed back up into the quarter panel between the trunk and the fender. It smashed up in there. And it took me and my mechanic after the race probably an hour and a half to get that tire there. We had to get it out of there so put it, we could put one back on the right rear so we could get back to Miami. So it was real ironic that my first race in Bangor <laughs> in NASCAR. So that was how I got there. You know, being a rookie and dumb like that, you know, I said, and never know that here is 68 years later, I'm going to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So, and I, I ran the, I ran that race in 56 that started 136 cars in it, uh, sportsman and modified in 56. And then I ran the last one in uh, 58 before they built the super speedway. Uh-huh. And they started 70, that was a cup race. They started 72 cars in it. And, uh, I know that, uh, me and Wood was on the pole the fastest time at that particular time, but I got a I got a notice here not too long ago from Jacksonville Hall of Fame, which I'm in, and it had the lineup. I've never seen that before. The lineup, the 72 cars that started that race, and it had highlighted eight different drivers on that that are in the Jacksonville Hall of Fame now. So wow. they sent that thing to me, and I know that Banjo Matthews won it, and. Uh, Fireball Roberts was fourth, and Glenn Wood, uh, Glenn Wood was third. I think Fireball was fourth. I know Ned Jarrett was tenth. I was fourteenth. I finished fourteenth in it, and uh, Marvin Pant was in it. Wendell Scott was in it. Lee Petty was in it. Buck Baker was in it. Curtis Turner was in it. Joe Wesley was in it. Joe Wesley was an alternate. And uh, Buck Baker, I remember, because he was the 1956 NASCAR model, the national champion. He finished 72nd. He was dead last in the race. And then I uh, know Joe Wesley. He was an alternate. in it. So that's just some of the names that was in that race, the last race on the beach. What, what was that like for you as a short track racer? And then you show up at the beach, and all these guys that you knew were NASCAR stars, uh, they were they were there, and you're you're able to race against them, beat some of them. What what do you remember of, about that feeling? I, and the reason why I asked that, Red, is is I remember when I was a kid and I showed up and I I got to race with you guys, you know, and and maybe I beat beat one or two of my heroes. It it was incredible incredible for me to to remember that and and to think about how how it made me feel like I belonged. You know, I could beat I could beat really good drivers. Um, and, and also rubbing shoulders with them. What, what was it like for you as a, as a kid, as a young racer, getting to go up against those big names in NASCAR? Well, it, it meant a lot to me to be able to do that. But, you know, there's, there's something, a story about that that's got, that uh, you may want to hear anyway. When I got to Daytona that first race in 53, not knowing anything, I had strictly stock automobiles. Back then, they were stock. If the radio was in it, it came from the factory. You had to have it in there, and it had to be working. All the windows had to roll up and down. Everything had to work in that car, just like it came from the factory. Well, that's the way I drove it up there. But I knew there were some things that needed to be changed on it. 
uh, for like air pressure tires and stuff that I really didn't know. So I thought I would go around and ask some of these, you know, like you could say, so-called champion drivers, uh, some few questions to see if I could get some help. Well, I went up to, well, just say for instance, I went up to the uh, Keep Out the Mercury. They had three Chrysler 300s full jewels, Tim Flock drove one, Pony Flock drove one, and Bob Flock drove the other one. Well, I was going to go up there and ask those questions. Well, I got over there too, and they had like little ropes around their places with guards. And I went up to <laughs> told them I wanted to ask Tim a question, and I got politely shoved off that I right. wasn't allowed in there. Well, I went to let me, I don't mention no names. I went to four or five other different places trying to get some help, and I didn't get no answer from nobody. I got kind of pushed to the side. I said, well, okay. And then finally, I, I ran into Ralph Moody, and, asked, and Ralph Moody stopped and took time with me, told me about air pressure and a few things I needed to do on that car, and he helped me tremendously. And I... And I said to myself at that time, I said, well, I don't know if I'll ever be anybody or I'll ever win a race or I'll ever be in NASCAR or do this. I said, but one thing I hope, if I ever do become anybody, I hope I will never be like some of these people. I would like to be like Ralph Moody. I want to be able to, I, I don't want to ever tell a kid or a youngster, anybody like that, that I can't help. And I've tried to spend my whole career helping youngsters. Anybody that asks me a question come up, I'm going to try to do my best to help him as best as I can because I can never, I've never got that episode that I got in 53 Daytona when I got that shoved off from the big guys. And I said, I don't never want to be that. I said, I want to be a Ralph Moody when I, if I ever do. And that's what I've tried to do my whole career is try to help the youngsters and help other people because I think it's the right thing to do. But, you know, you think about it, it's probably the, maybe the safest thing to do because if you don't help those youngsters, they may on the racetrack with you. They may crash you because you didn't help them get that car away to go around the racetrack. So it works two ways. So that's yeah. the way I've tried to go, be. Well, I'll tell you a, a quick story of, about my, my, me growing up in, in the world of NASCAR. My brother was obviously a, a great racer, and I would, I, I just always wanted to, I was aggravating, I'm sure. I just wanted to hang around my brother. You know, I just wanted to be with him. But he was more into his car than he was this kid, and so I got ignored a lot, which, which I understand. It just, you know, he was focused. But at Nashville, Tennessee, in 1973, and I still have the picture, and I have to get it to producer Ford, so that he can share it with, with our, our listeners. I, I was wearing a very stylish silk shirt, uh, Red, that I think you would appreciate it. And one of those um, denim, I think they called them CPOs, like a, a sport jacket. Mm -hmm. And I was, my, my goal was to get autographs. And I walked up to Bobby Allison and I said, hey, hey Bobby, um, I would like to get your autograph. And he said, you sit down there, young man you tell me what you would like me to write on this autograph. And my, my point of this story is he, he just, he just was kind to me. You know, he, 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 he wanted to hear my stories. He wanted to know what I was all about. 
And I've always, that, that's that moment that, that you just described with Ralph Moody. I was, that moment happened to me with Bobby Allison. And I will never be rude or be short with someone that wants my autograph because of Bobby Allison and, and the way he treated me that day. And I'm, I'm glad you reminded me of, of your story because it gave me a chance to tell one of mine. And then mm -hmm. I, got a, I got a few questions here to hit you with. You were born in Nashville. You grew up in Miami. How, to, how the heck did you get a, to be a member of the Alabama gang? Well, yeah, I, I was raised that I went to Belmont. I went to Waverly Belmont School in Nashville. And about 14 or 15, uh, uh, my mother uh, separated. And uh, me and my sister and my mother moved to Miami. That's where her parents was. And uh, we went down there, and uh, they uh, they was uh, uh, had an apartment house. They was manager of apartment store. His mama, and uh, we went down there to live with them, and um, and, and that's where actually where I started racing in Opelika, Florida, in nineteen forty eight. I started racing the same year that Bill France was starting NASCAR in nineteen forty eight. So when I started racing all together, I didn't join NASCAR to fifty three, but I've been racing since forty eight. And um, you know, then actually that uh, and Bobby, you know, Bobby was in my crew at one time when he was a kid, fifteen years old before he ever started racing. Uh, I was having we went from a Ford Motor two those two ninety twos. And I uh, come out with that little 265 cubic inch Chevrolet motor. And my mechanic decided we wanted to try one. We got one over there, was taking the motor down to see what make it tick, and found out there was nothing that held the camshaft in, uh, like a plate like the Ford did. It kept the camshaft moving. So he said, That ain't right. I said, Well, it's not right either. It's nothing to hold that camshaft in, but the timing chain. And uh, he said, I said, well, down the street about two miles, Papa Allison there, he's got a, a shop that they repair uh, gas station pumps, and he, Bobby and Donnie and uh, Tommy, all of them work down there. And I said, maybe Bobby can help us out with his motor. And I said, I don't know him, but I've seen he's got a drag car, 55 Chevy, that he runs in the drag racing, so maybe he knows more about this thing. And I've seen him run up down the street in front of the shop, so... I went down and got Bobby and got him to come up there, the Chevrolet. I didn't know at the time, but Bobby said he didn't know more than we did, but he wasn't going to tell us that. <laughs> <laughs> and he came up there and bluffed his way through it. We got that Chevrolet and put it in my car, and I went up to Hollywood Speedway, and I won eight features in a row with hmm. that car right off the bat. And Bobby said I was having so much fun that he'd have to try that instead of drag racing, and that's how he actually got started wow. in that racing. But at that time, Mom and Papa Allison, they were pretty strict. And um, he knew that they, they were going to let him race. And uh, he raced under a different name, under his name of Bob Sunman, which is one of his sister's first husband, his oldest son. And he raced under the name of Bob Sunman for a while up at Hylia Speedway so the Mom and Papa Allison wouldn't know about it. So Pop found out about it told him if he was going to race, he was going to have to use his own name, but he's going to have to get it okay for mom. So mom told him, you know, as long as 
they get, they had a lot of discussion about it, and they told him, you know, if he kept his grades up in school and kept his nose clean, all that stuff like that, you know, he could run on the weekends as long as he made sure that he was in church every Sunday morning. They was Catholics, and they went to church every Sunday morning. And uh, that's the way Bobby got started, so... I've, I've never heard that story that he had an alias when he started. Yeah, well, that was before Pop and Mom found out about it. You know, he was trying to get a little experience, I guess, you know, at high level before they found out about it. But uh, that's, that's a kind of funny. Yeah, so we've been great friends ever since. I mean, Bobby and Donnie and myself. But actually, uh, Bobby had gone up to, he was working for Keep Out for Mercury a while, and he was testing speedboats up in Wisconsin on the lakes and stuff up there. And uh, he'd come back through Alabama and ran a race or something up there. And he came back and told me about the, the great racing up in Alabama. And uh, at that time, I was an electrician. I already had a wife and three kids, and the grandmother lived with us. So I, I was trying at the Cuban crisis had come up over across the water, and the construction work pretty well slowed down as far as electrician. And I was trying to figure out how I could feed five people on the $30 unemployment check back in those days. And then I said, well, there's nothing I could do. I said, and I was just racing. I was working all week and then just racing on the weekend. And I said, well, I can't hardly manage this. I'm going to try it. I'm going to go to Alabama. So I loaded my car up on an old two-wheel axle trailer, and we headed, and I took off to Birmingham. At that time, there was no interstate. It took me 27 hours to get from Miami to Birmingham, pulling that open trailer, and got up to Dixie Speedway. And uh, uh, at that time, they was all running the fuel injector straight drive cars. They had fuel Hilbert injectors on them, and uh, no clutches and no starters, nothing on them. You know, they pushed them off like a sprint car. And I pulled in into the racetrack at uh, Dixie Speedway, and I had two four-barrel carburetors on my car, and I had a clutch and a flywheel and a starter and everything else. And I pulled in there and got up into the car on the trailer and cranked it up to drive it off, and they all just like died laughing at me. I said, said I was really a redneck boy. I mean, I was a rube, you know. He had carburetors and a clutch and a flywheel and a starter, and they'd crank up, and you could drive it off instead of being pushed off. They like like that. But anyway, I didn't have no points, so they may started me in the rear that night. And I started about 25th. But when the feature was over about 30 laps later, I won the race. Wow. I went from dead last and passed the whole field of them fuel-injected Chevrolet running alcohol. I was at two four barrels on gasoline. And what the reason it was, we ran highly on Hollywood and at Medley Speedway, and those tracks was flat as a board. No bank in the tall. Well, this Dixie Speedway had a bank to it, and they dropped the green flag, and everybody hit the bottom, you know, and they everybody fighting trying to get the bottom lane, and a few of them was on the outside. I just went up another lane up next to the wall, and passed the whole field up there. I just got up in the third lane up on the top of the bank and went around the whole field and passed it, won it. And after race, they said, "Man, you can't race up there." I said, there were no signs that I couldn't get up there, so I just went up there. There was nobody up there. So I moved to the top past the whole field. So that's how we after we got to come up to Miami. Then, then uh, Bob Harmon, who was a promoter, uh, said, uh, Red, we're running Montgomery tomorrow night. 
And I said, well, that's going back to Miami. He said, well, why don't you stop off at Montgomery tomorrow night? It was a half-mile asphalt, fairly flat. And uh, I went to down. I stopped at Montgomery the next night and did the same thing down there. I won the race there that night, and I'd got about $300 for Dixie Speedway and I think $300 for Montgomery. And I didn't make $600 in one week at racing, and I didn't make long $30 checks. So I said, I thought I'd then died going to heaven. Anyway, went back to Miami, but then I started going back and forth like that. You know, I was working when I actually worked during the winter, and then go back up to Birmingham and race in the summer. And then I moved the family up there in 61, 62. I moved my wife and the kids up to Hueytown. Uh, and uh, that's where we got started. And of course, then Bobby and Donnie and myself all started racing. We worked together, lived together, and had a shop together and traveled together. <laughs> that's how, how I started get, Alabama, Alabama Gang. How did you get Bobby and Donnie and uh, the Allisons to come with you from? Well, <laughs> they'd all, they'd, they'd come back here. Me and Bobby'd come back up here several times together. And Donnie was actually too young to race at that particular time. He just started out running back in those days because uh, I ran Hollywood Speedway more than I did Hialeah because the the guy on my race car owned Hollywood Speedway. And uh, when Bobby was helping me up there, Donnie was up there in the crew because he was a kid, a little old kid then. And I'd come in after the heat race or something. And... I get ready to run the feature, and I had to go get Donnie out of the seat. He'd sit in, he'd climb in my race car and sit in there play with the steering wheel while we was goofing off between the next races. And I'd come in, i said, Donnie, get out of my car. I got to run the feature. He'd look at me, he said, well, when are you going to let me drive this thing? I said, when you get big enough to reach the pedals, then you can drive it. So that's the way Donnie, because he was just a little kid then, about 12 years old, 13 years old. And... Uh, <clears throat> Like it's me and Bobby come up in the sixties run, and then then Donnie brought his car up there too and started running. So we just kind of migrated up there a little bit at a time, and uh, we all ended up in Hueytown. Yeah. How how do you how do you remember deciding that Hueytown was the place to be um, from from sunny South Florida? Well, uh, Hueytown is just is actually about 15 miles from downtown Birmingham. It's just a suburb, is what it is. But it was just a quiet little community. Had a good little school, and just a place that you want to raise. I had three kids want to go to school. They all graduated from Hueytown High School, and it was just a, seemed like a little quiet community to to raise your family. So. I've been there, there over 60 years. I've had the same place. I haven't ever moved since Yeah Town. Well, of course, then Bobby would live. Bobby was my next door neighbor, but on the other street. Uh, he lived at he lived at 140 Church Street, and I lived at 143 Faust. And I uh, the fence from behind my property on the other side of the fence was Bobby in the backyard. So we was next door neighbors back to back, even though we lived on different streets. What What did you think? Um as a young racer you're 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 burning up the short tracks and bobby uh gets you run some nascar but bobby got this bobby and donnie both went nascar full time what, what did you did you say red i want to do that or you're like nah, i like what i'm doing how did all that work out 
Well, you know, back in there, like I said, we we pulled that Alabama gang, and we'd won hundreds of races together, the three of us. And they got to, Bobby got the opportunity first. Actually, he run his own car for a while. He built it right from the next street over, the little Chevelle and stuff. He went up there and outrun some of the bad guys like that, you know. And then that, he got an offer like that. And Donnie did too. But back in those days, if you didn't have your factory backing, if you wouldn't drive in for a factory team, you was an also ran. You know what I mean? You're the back marker, and uh, just a fill in. And uh, both of them ended up with pretty good rides because that's because they they wanted to do it. And I I didn't. That's, I don't know. It's, I, it's kind of, I uh, I didn't have that factory deal. And I was not going to be a back marker. I'm never, I wanted to win the race. I enjoyed racing. I loved the competition and do it. And I would rather go to Birmingham and win the feature on Friday night, go to Montgomery and win one on Saturday night. And then, then I would go to NASCAR and run 30th to 35th and say I'm a NASCAR cup driver and be back there a back marker. I was not going to do that. I could not do that. I, I love racing too much to be an also ran. So I didn't have the factory back and it wasn't that many of them. And uh, so I said, well, I'm just going to stay where I'm at and enjoy racing and, and have a good time at doing it. And I've done that place all my life. Of course, now, you know, I was very fortunate. Uh, I ended up st still won the Permatex 300 in Daytona in 71. I won two hundred 500s at Talladega Super Speedway. So I won three races on two of the biggest racetracks in the country, even though I'm a short track racer, because I had good cars at that time. I and wanted I to ask about one, that. Uh, when I won the ARCA 88, the won the ARCA 500 at Talladega in 88. What made that one special? My crew chief was Davey Allison. I was driving his car, and Davey and me was in victory lane together. So that meant a lot. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to hear about the Permatex win. I, I know what a big sportsman race that was back in the day, and also uh, knew. Well, what made that one special, Michael, was they started it in '59, and I ran that every year for 12 years. And when it did, a cup drivers won it every year for 12 years in a row. I was the first I call sportsman driver that won that race, and I, I was like, like. Uh, they learned hard trying to win the Daytona 500. You know what I mean? I've been 12 years trying to make us in that permatex, and I finally won it, and uh, that meant a lot. You know, being sportsman driver to to outrun all the Cup drivers and win that race. So in 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 '88, when you won Talladega, Davy was your crew chief, and and you were also Davy's crew chief. Yeah, that's right. We swapped about when he ran the Bush series. <laughs> then I was his crew chief. I ran the Arca. He was my crew chief. So, but you know, I went to I went to Bobby's and and Judy's when they got married in Miami Springs, and so I've known Bobby since they got married. So all of his kids was was raised, you know, born after we was become such great friends. So they was almost like my kids, you know. And that Davy was so special to me for the simple reason that. Uh, now, my son was a good little racer for a while, too, but he had a family, and he decided he didn't want to take a chance on getting busted up like he seen me laying in the hospital. He couldn't miss those paychecks, so he'd stop to just help me work on the cars 
But uh, at that particular time when Davy was coming up through the, the smaller ranks down in the sportsman division, hobby divisions, this, that, and other moving up, that's when Bobby was going off cup racing a lot, and Donnie was too. And then Davey would be out there racing BIR with me, Birmingham, with me on Friday nights and stuff like that. So naturally, I kind of, I took Davey under my wing, you know, as much as I could. When he had problems, he'd come to me and I'd, I'd try to help him out. So I took, kind of took the place of Bobby there for when Bobby was gone. So that's how me and Davey become so close to each other that, uh, so he was just like a second son to me. Yeah, and, and when I think of Davey, I think of Red because I saw you all together so much. I talked about, um, you know, the fact that you, you, he was your crew chief and, and he was yours. And so today I called Larry McReynolds because he's my Alabama connection. And I said, Larry Mack. <laughs> Larry Mack. I said, tell me, tell me some, some good stuff on Red Farmer. And the thing that I love that he, that his favorite story, the thing that came out of his mouth first, so you know this is his favorite, was when Davey won the 1992 Daytona 500, you tested the car. You helped them get ready for that race in Daytona. How, first of all, tell me about that, you know, how they, they got you in the seat, they got you to help. And then that, how, how special never, those never, memories are. I never will forget that. Uh, Larry Mack called me, or I don't remember if it was Robert called me, one of the two. But Davey was out in Phoenix doing something, some kind of publicity deal with Phoenix, and he couldn't be there. And Larry Mack called me up and said, Red Copper is, World uh, Classic. He was racing the Copper World Classic. Is that what it was? Yeah, he was off racing. Yeah. So... Uh, they wanted to know if I would come to Talladega and test the cars for Davey. And I said, well, of course, that was an honor at that time to have Robert Yates want you to come here and drive that car for him. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. So they brought two cars down to Daytona, I mean, to Talladega to test. We spent two days down there testing them cars. And I can tell you, they wore, <laughs> they wore my butt out, too. Uh, you know, with two cars sitting there ready to go, he'd have something that that time they were testing a lot of cow inductions, you know, different angles of the cows into the carburetors, different exhaust system, different this. There's so many things to test when you're testing something like that. So I'd get in one car and I'd run that thing and go out there and uh, Larry Mack say, run five laps real hard. I said, okay. And I'd go out of the piston, I'd run five laps like that. And I'd come in. I get a car, get in the other car, and go out there and run five laps while they were changing something on the first car. And then that went back and forth sometime for two hours. I never even got my helmet off. I'd be from one car to the other, back and forth, back and forth like that. And I guess in the two days of testing, uh, we must have run 500 miles. I don't know how many in two days with two cars, but they, we, were, we ran some tests. And when we got to Daytona, you know, to talk to Davey, and he got in the primary car. And, boy, he was tickled to death. It was fast. It was fast, you know. And then he ended up wrecked that car in the 125s on Thursday. And he come in, he was almost crying. He was in tears because that was such a great car. He just knew he could win Daytona with that thing, you know. 
And I told Davy, I said, Davy, I said, don't worry about it. I said, the other car, you can win the race in the other car. It's just as fast as the first one. It's not a tenth of a second different, but you're going to have to work a little bit harder. I said, one of them drives like a Cadillac down the interstate. The other one drives like a Ford Galaxy down the interstate. They're both good, but one just drives just a tick easier than the other one. And sure enough, he gets in the backup car and goes out there to win the Daytona 500. And uh, I don't know if you can see this right here, but that ring right there, Robert Yates gave me, and I will take it and says that Daytona 500 winner in 1992. And that Robert gave me a ring along with the rest of the crew. Uh, so that, that's a ring that I admire more than anything. Yeah, and that ring that Robert Yates gave me for the Daytona win. Yeah, and and um, your your participation, your your work toward getting those cars ready was a big part of of the reason why you have that ring. It's so yeah. well deserved, and I know you and Davey were so incredibly close, and I'm so thankful that you have that ring and the memories of that great win in Daytona. Yeah, yeah. I I'll always remember that time with Larry Mack and Robert in the, in the pit working with them for two days. It was quite an honor, but it was a lot of work, but I enjoyed it. Um, so let's fast forward to, to today. Um, you, I think you raced last weekend. I'm not sure. Did you race at Talladega Short Track? Yeah, we had, we had a big race up there. Uh, really, it, the car was running good. Uh, I think I qualified eight fastest that night, and uh, the car was great. The six of us, I got up to sixth place and was running sixth place in the lead pack, and we didn't run off the rest of the field. And on the white plate lap, I broke a right rear axle. And uh, that axle, when I broke it, it, it I'd lost two spots and ended up finishing eighth uh, with it, but the car was was real good. I was tickled to death of the car to be running six up there with it. And, and like I say, breaking the axle on the white flag lap and still finish eighth. Uh, and then last weekend we were and had another big show up there at a 50 lapper and um, <coughs> took the fastest 24 cars. But uh, something, when that broke that axle, it tore up the spool in the center section of that quick change. And I had to change a spool and an axle and this, that, and the other. This weekend, I had a bad vibration. And I don't know what it was. It was just the car was just vibrating. It felt like running over ripple strips or something, you know. And uh, our wheel lug, like the lug, one of the lug nuts was loose on the wheel. It just shook real bad. And I, and I never could figure out what it was because we checked the, everything that we could on the track, make sure there was no nud in the wheels or anything like that. But... Uh, I didn't find it out till Monday when I got back to the shop and uh, found out it's the high gear in the transmission's doing it. Because I put the thing up on jack stands and put uh, stands under the rear end and get it, got in the car, cracked it up, put it in gear. And at second gear, it was smooth as silk. But as soon as I shifted it in high gear, it liked to shoot me out of the car. So there's something in the transmission, uh, maybe from breaking the axle the week before, caused to where the car was not good this Saturday night. It was good the week before, but it wasn't this week. I told the driver, I said, when, I said we're going to park this thing. I said, when that car is the boss instead of me, and it goes where it wants to, where I want it to, I ain't going to drive it no more. 
are you gonna get it are you gonna get it fixed and go some more what yeah. what's no, I put the transmission and run it next week. So, like I say, that's a, you know, I don't, I, I just enjoy racing now. I love to go up there and race and, and be competitive and, and run with the boys. Uh, last year, I, I had uh, 12 top 10s and five top five finishing, finished six in, six in the point standings. And the year before that, I led the point standings for the first 10 races of the season. And I went to Pennsylvania to have a T-Bird painted that I was restoring and mystery races. And I come back and still finish third in the point standings. So, you know, as <clears throat> long as I can still enjoy it and have a good time, I go out there and race somebody now and, and have a bang a few fenders, this, that, and the other, and, and finish sixth, seventh, eighth, or tenth, you know, and have a good race, then I'm happy with it right now. I don't have to win no more races. I just go out there and have a good time. Well, do you know what it – what an honor it must be for those those kids and those other competitors to get to race against a NASCAR Hall of Famer. I mean, I don't know how many Hall of Fames are in. Must be more than ten. But how this much? This is my tenth one. Oh it, well, that's that's awesome. But how cool it! Like what you're doing. I mean, you're you're making people's Saturday nights by just sharing the track with them. Yeah, we have a great time up there at the track. I you know I had this last weekend. We had you still do a lot of autographs and a lot of pictures and they have a lot of kids come up once, you know, get their picture with me and sign their hats and sign their flags and stuff. And that's that's part of it. That's part of it. I enjoy, you know, the kids like that because I remember it the same way when I was that way. So it's you you've got to please the fans and stuff. They're the one that buys the tickets and pays our purse without the fans. And you know, please the fans and stuff and take the pictures and do the autographs, then you're not gonna have nobody up there to pay the purse. So <clears throat> I look forward to going out there Saturday night and, and being with the people. I've always been a people person anyway. Yeah, my, my big brother, I talked to him today about you as well. Um and he said one thing I'll tell you about red is when you went to BIR, uh, you knew that you you probably going to run second to red. That's how good he was at that racetrack, and and just the the memories and and thoughts uh, from from people I respect and admire about you, and then you spending time with me today. I just I just want to tell you how much I appreciate it. Well, I enjoy it very much. So <laughs> looking forward to seeing you down the road and especially at the Hall of Fame. I just hope we get to do it. Uh, you know, I talked to Amber Wells up there the other day and she said, if you hope everything this for this virus and everything gets straightened out, that we can have that. I told him, I said, look, I've been racing 73 years. I got a lot of stories to tell. So I said, I got to get up on that stage. So I said, I've got some more good ones to let you know about. So, uh, you know, just 1956, you know, I was talking to Junior last week. Uh, and you know, I told him in 1956 uh, that was my first NASCAR national championship. It was in 1956. I had come back from the Korean War in '55 and got back racing again, and I won the championship in 1956. And I got to go to Daytona, sit up there with Bill France giving us our trophy, and Buck Baker was a Cup champion. I was the modified champion. And Ralph Earnhardt was the sportsman champion that year. Dale's the granddaddy. So I said, that's, that's, I guess that's what they call a pioneer. We got this pioneer award. I said, I guess I'm a pioneer. Yes, you are. And you're, 
you're such a, a wonderful addition to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Someone that has given their life to, to, to driving cars and is still giving it, still getting on the gas on the Saturday nights in Alabama. It's amazing. Yeah. Like I said, you know, my motto is I'm going to wear out, not rust out. <laughs> I tell you what, Red, that might be the best ending to one of my podcasts I've ever heard. Okay. All right. We'll see, I'll, we'll see you in Charlotte. You got it, buddy. Congratulations. Bye, right. right. Okay. Wow. How much fun was that? We got to chat with Red Farmer, NASCAR Hall of Famer, short tracker, the originator of the Alabama game. It was just a great day. So thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate you joining me on Walter Bun Filter. Don't forget, tell your friends that we have a lot of great content. You can join us via Fox Sports social media channels. You can also go to your favorite podcast app. And we're here weekly enjoying some great conversations. I love red. I love what we got to do today. Heck, I even wore red. <laughs> Enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week.